0: Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan.
1: And Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution.
0: We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo.
1: Guests that help you think differently.
0: And nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You, authentic you. Okay, today we welcome Mohamed Hamoud. Mohammed is a husband, a father, three children, an engaging facilitator, a keynote and TEDx speaker, a media commentator and community advocate for inclusion. Um, Mohamed is a dedicated and driven community leader with extensive ties to the London area, that's London, Canada for all my British fans, um, with expertise in community activism, leadership development, diversity, equity and inclusion how understands the importance of diversity to sustain canada's prosperity and growth Uh, his outreach efforts demonstrate an ongoing commitment to progressive community building he's served in various capacities as a board member volunteer different local community organizations as well as the liberal party of canada candidate for 2019 federal election and soon soon to come as well i believe we might dive into that in the conversation He's a regular contributor to various media outlets, uh, including the CBC, uh, London Free Press. Uh, He's an award-winning Toastmaster, TEDx and keynote speaker, executive coach, trainer. He's recently been appointed chief learning officer to the new Canadian media. In his professional career, Mohammed's purpose is to develop heart-centered leaders who involve others, use their influence to amplify diverse perspectives and inspire them to achieve collective results. Round of applause for that. Thank you very much. What an honor. So happy to have you here. Welcome to the show, Mohammed. Thank you so much. And
2: you've probably heard this before, but really the honor is mine to be here with both of you. So thank you for spending uh, part of
0: your afternoon with me or part of your evening, Rice. <laughs> Indeed.
1: Can't to dive in.
0: So there are all kinds of places we can dive into here. As we Before we hit record, we all collectively uh, fell on the idea of social responsibility and it ties into your political aspirations and the work you do with leading with heart um and in, in diversity and inclusion so maybe maybe start there how did this become your passion your obsession in a good way and like you know, share a bit of your sort of backstory for our listeners
2: yeah my, what i've always wanted to do is to make an impact so i love being in the spotlight so to, to say that i don't love attention would i'd be a liar <laughs> uh, but it's you know when, when i am getting that love and that attention it's because it helps me reverberate it and give it back to the people around me. And so it, it just, I want to be that boomerang who can take the energy from people and then give it back holistically in a way that makes people feel good about themselves. I want to have an impact. I need to know that I'm making a difference. I don't want to die without knowing that somebody can say that I've brought something of value to this world. And so you know, I, I don't have to be famous. It's not about fame. It's not celebrity status. It's not an influencer status. It's can I impact a person without them even knowing that I made that change in their life to help them rise and feel good about themselves as if though I had really nothing to do with it. The best form of empowerment is when you help people believe they can do something, that they've done it because of their own belief in themselves, right? It's like giving charity sure it's good if you can say hey i gave a million bucks or a hundred dollars to a particular charity but if you can do it in secret you're you know you're deflecting that uh attention from you and now giving it back to the people who need that love and need that attention themselves so for me social responsibility and i have to balance it by the way and i'll share that with you it's about what am i doing to make this world a better place how am i contributing to whether it's looking after our climate? being responsible, you know, being a good citizen of this world? How am I looking after my own community, my neighbors, my, my friends, my family? How can I make an impact to the people so that they can smile, they can be healthy, they can be internally wealthy with, with, with their heartfelt need to be with other human beings? That it's not about the things that we own, but about the things that we give. And that's what gets me up every day, is what can I do to help people feel better? believe they are better, and to create better communities. So the challenge there is how do you create a balance so that you're not burning yourself out, right? Because, you know, as Teresa, you understand social responsibility, it's really high on your scale there. It means that you're, you know, maybe you're, there's an opportunity cost. If I'm always focused on others, I got to make sure that I'm cleaning my own home first, that I'm giving to my family, that I'm giving to myself. I'm looking after myself. So I always remind myself, hey, you've got to be in a good position and a good situation to be able to help others. Nobody wants to be helped by somebody who's falling down well themselves, right? You need to make sure that you're in a situation where you can help people get out of that dark place and bring them into the light. And so you've got to be in the light yourself. That means be enlightened with your heart, be enlightened with your soul, be enlightened with your mind, and be enlightened with your gut. Make decisions that really reflect the light around you and the light in the world.
1: So, if these, yeah, wow, well, is right. <laughs> the way to pack a punch, Muhammad, right at the beginning. So, if these are the things that get you up in the morning and really excite you and motivate you and drive you forward. What are the things that keep you up at night?
2: The same things <laughs> that my mind, I, I try to do a, a decompress of my thoughts before I go to bed. So I believe um, we have an expression, uh, take yourself to to judge yourself and your actions before you are judged. So each night before I sleep, I think about what did I do well today? How did I make a difference? What am I not happy about? Did I lose my temper? Did I do something that I, I know I regret. People tell you that there's no regrets. I, I don't know if I believe that. I'd like to think over a span of 30 years, you will know, look back, see no regrets. But in each day we do things that maybe could have been done better. And so at night I think about what did I do well? What can I do better? What do I need to stop doing? And I start to fall asleep thinking of those thoughts. What happens sometimes with Teresa is those thoughts are very pervasive and, and they don't go away. And you know that if you're mind is working, your body can't shut down either. Mm-hmm. And so those thoughts do keep me up at night sometimes. And that's why I, I talk about a harmony and a balance because if I'm constantly keeping my on switch on, I'm not taking care of myself. So for me, decompression and, and, and you know coming into a, that nocturnal reflection point is being able to also find a time when I can say, okay, I've done what I can now. This is where I need to stop looking forward to tomorrow here's my list of to-dos here's my list of to-be's here's of the things that are going to get me up and keep me going throughout the day so it's finding that balance because at the end of the day you know while balance is is attention between two opposing uh you know or many opposing priorities i talk about harmony as where do you land so that you find that peaceful interaction between the balance right and that's what allows me to sleep That's what allows me to have a bit of composure because really my days even, (laughs) they are so full of things to do. Um, You know, I'm not a brain scientist, I'm not an engineer, I'm not coming up with the next electrical uh, vehicle, right? But I wanna make an impact. And so I do have a lot of things happening. And so it's a matter of, again, finding that balance so that I can make a valid contribution in each area of my life, whether it's my personal life, my family, my full-time work, my business, uh, my my now campaigning, I need to find that balance so that I
0: don't burn myself out. Wonderful, yeah. It's so important that we are mindful of that as as those of us who have the open heart and wanna just give everything away for free there is a limit there is a opportunity cost as you said earlier and it is when you're dealing with something like social responsibility which for me I've re- put right at the top as a higher purpose not just a personal purpose, but a higher purpose and the idea of making a difference and and service to others is something that's very aligned with my heart as well but thank you for sharing that kind of reflective practice that you do at the end of the night so in terms of a, a harmony or a balance thing is there something that you do in the morning that kind of picks that back up and, and gets you energized and, and, and gets you ready for this important day's work that you have.
2: Yeah. So I'll probably overshare things that I don't necessarily go too deeply with on, on platforms like LinkedIn or even, you know, Facebook a bit, but you know, or publicly share, but I, I'm very spiritual. So uh, I I'm Muslim by, by religious conviction. And so I do have different times of the day when I perform a spiritual act, what people may call as prayer. Uh, if, you know, you, Bring certain bodily functions with certain uh, incantations, right? And s- mindfulness, because I believe that I'm in the presence of a great sovereign lord. And when I'm doing that, I try to focus on the words, because as you know, words have an effect. So you know, in in, in Hinduism, if you say the word mm, like you, you're reflecting, and that sound is penetrating your your body and your heart and the various chakras. Well, when we're Praying, if I say the word Allah, Allahu, right? There, there's different ways that that word, the, the words that I'm saying, impact my spirituality, but also my body and my mind. And so, if I'm just praying fast, then I'm not getting full benefit. It's the yoga of the mind and the body. So I do get up in the morning at a particular time when when it's just just before dawn, and I spend about an hour where I'm doing particular prayer. You know, just praying for myself, for my family, for the community, for people that I know. I have to mention at least 40 people by name that I pray to. So it's you know reflecting and deflecting energy on others and positive energy. And I start my morning that way. Uh, and depends on what time it is because in the summertime, it could be three o'clock in the morning, right? Or it could be six o'clock. So I sometimes go back to bed. Um, but the morning starts with reflection and prayer. And then when I get up, I try to do something, some calisthenics. I'm not always good because I've got the COVID diet now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to do some stretches in the morning where the body's getting, you know, something to wake it up. And then I, you know, have special coffee with my mom. I've got a special diet on how I break my diet in the morning with cinnamon and 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 honey and uh, you you name it and raisins. But the best part of the morning is when I have a coffee with my mom. She's 87. She lives with me and I try to keep her healthy. So, you know, around nine o'clock every day, we're having a 20-minute coffee, Turkish coffee together. Um, Then I make her breakfast. I get to work, um, you know, kind of at work by 7.38. And um, that's how my day is, in and out. Now I'm working at home, like many of us. And it's a matter of, just being aware oh it's time to get up it's time to go for a walk it's time to go outside it's time to walk away from the computer and and you know it's just that f- constant focus of what c- can happen and what needs to happen as opposed to sitting and becoming um this machine robotic interact interactivity with a computer right and just to get work done but to really make sure that you're having an impact with whatever you're doing
1: there's so much beauty in the practices that you've mentioned with the full on intention of being extremely particular about what you're filling yourself up with, the words you speak to yourself. The cycle that you have yourself in the morning is completely about raising your own energy and well being and then pushing that outward and then allowing it to come back in return and just sort of it. The visual for me is like a locomotive where you feed it the coal and then it Mm. starts to move. And as it moves, it gains this momentum and you just have to put a little bit more coal in. But once the momentum is moving, man, look out, that is a hard thing to stop. And so I'm curious how you notice how you set your day in that way impacts your ability to manage whatever comes your way.
2: To a practicing Muslim, this might seem ostentatious or you know arrogant. And that's not the way I intended. And I'll tell you why, because you're not supposed to talk about your prayers and oh, I pray X number of times a day and stuff like that, right? Again, you give charity, you give it in in secret. The reason I say that is I think today when things are so fast and we're so eager to get things done, and it's about external accomplishments we forget to focus on the internal needs, what our body needs, what our mind needs, what our soul needs, what our heart needs. And that's how, for me, that's how self-care starts. Because as I mentioned earlier, I can't look after my family. I can't look after my mother. I can't help my children. I can't be there for my wife, who's a rock in my world. Um, I can't be there for my siblings, for others, for my clients, for people at work. If I'm not positive, forget even just my health. If I don't get up and I'm in a good mood, to make a difference. If I'm feeling that I'm very down, guess what? It's raining on everybody because Muhammad's not in a good mood. So for me, the cycle revolves around those times of the day when it is time for me to pray. Mm -hmm. And the lazy part of me says, oh, and and, and it's rare that that happens except at night sometimes because who wants to get up at night, do an ablution, which is washing your face and your arms and everything, right? Great during COVID, Uh, but you're preparing yourself for prayer and you're up for about an hour when it's time to sleep, when everybody else in the you know in my community or in my home is sleeping. So I I I come downstairs, I I walk around the home, I check on my mom, I check my kids as they're sleeping or probably, you know, in the weekends still playing video games. So I I have that time to me to be that fatherly figure walking around and just making sure everyone's okay. I get that peace of mind. But it centers around I just did my night prayer, I did my morning prayer, I'm soon to get into my afternoon, you know, noon and afternoon prayer. And then when the sun sets, I'll do my evening, right? My whole world, my life revolves around that cycle. But that cycle feeds me. So it's not that I'm religiously um, um, taken in by uh, fanaticism as some people might see it. But what it is, it's a recognition that my body needs to move that I need to stretch. Because when you're praying, when you're doing yoga, you're stretching your body. And so five times a day at least, I'm doing stretches that help me get my body at its regular shape. And then I'm stretching my soul to a different place. I'm helping my heart beat differently. And you know, our, our, our head is always above our heart, but the only time that the heart is above the head, and we know physiologically that that's a very good thing when the heart is physically above the head the only time that it's doing that is when it's in prostration. And so during prayer the you know we go into prostration often. And that's also humbling because when you think about it I'm very vain. I'm 54 this April you know I, I use stuff on my face and I want to look good and but so many times during my prayer I put my head on a piece of clay. Clay, dried earth this face that we spend so much time grooming we put on earth because from earth we come and to earth we return and that's grounding and you know and and again there's you know there's science that proves that when we put our head to earth that the energy from uh, from our heads is absorbed by the earth and it's healthy. So if you've got a migraine, one of the things that you're told to do is to go into prostration. It's to put your head onto the ground. And what you're also doing, as I mentioned earlier, is your heart is physically above your head. So there's there's that spiritual nuance of humility. There's that physical bending down in front of something greater than you. And, you know, most of us need that humility because when I look around in the world right now, leaders aren't leading from the heart. They're not leading from a place of humility. They lead from, I'm better than you. They lead, I have more money from you. I have a better car, I have a bigger home. I, I have a role. I, I get to tell others what to do. I'm rich. People know me and, and it's all about what we own and how we speak and how we command and how we control as opposed to how we serve and how we give back and how we make an impact. And so leadership is about commanding someone's heart before you can command their ear, right? So you can't get somebody to believe in your message if they not connected to you through your heart and, and dear to you with what you have to say. And so that's important. And the humility of what I practice throughout the day is what keeps me grounded that I am much smaller than, and you know, I'm a speck on the face of this earth. Mm -hmm. But the great thing is, and this is something else that I believe is, as Rumi would say, we are, you know, the constant universe. We are the universe in constant motion. And so while the entire earth cannot contain a sovereign entity as, you know, an, an, an omnipotent Lord, let's say, if you want to speak spiritually, your heart can hold the God that you believe in. Whatever your God is, whatever your belief is, that in your heart, you can contain the entire universe. But I think that's powerful because we normally give that credit to our brains and we forget that it's the heart that can contain that energy.
0: Mm. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing so openly there, about your practices, your religious um, beliefs, your spiritual um, motivations, and you know how that all ties into your um, purpose and, and this social responsibility. So let's change gears slightly and let's try to pick some of these threads together. So you've got your the inclusion thing, which is obviously right at the, at the heart of what it, you do. Those of you who haven't seen the TEDx talk, I know this is a big, big thing, where it comes from. And then, then here you said involve, um, inspire, and uh, influence. Influence and inspire, um,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, so you're talking about leaders needing to lead from the heart, and then you, you kind of moved into this political arena, which, to not stereotype, we wouldn't necessarily say that, politicians lead with their heart so I'm wondering what what prompted this this very necessary move um, and what you hope what what your vision is for for this um, this social responsibility higher purpose in politics
2: so I, I will tell you that I believe I have ADHD I've never been formally diagnosed. you're probably wonder why I'm sharing that because I'm, I constantly look at the heart behind you. And I'm trying to keep focused on you, but I keep seeing the heart behind you. And it's so inspiring that we're talking so much about the heart, but that's where it all begins for me. It's that focus needs to come back to the heart. And I, I would always shy away from political conversations. I hated politics. I disliked politicians. I never wanted anything to do with politics, but somebody mentioned to me in 2018, somebody who was um, helping me in Toastmasters said, "Mohammed, you've got to get into politics and we need somebody in this particular riding in London, Ontario, would you consider? I talked to my wife and went back to that person the next day and I said, yeah, I'd love to. I, I wanted a career change. I wanted a place where I could, you know, and think, notice I'm saying, I, 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 it was really about me. I wanted this. I wanted that. I talked to my wife. I, right. Because I started out thinking this is an opportunity for me to do something different, to give back, certainly. But it was about Muhammad. Well, months into it, after knocking on thousands and thousands of doors, you know, collectively with my team, we probably knocked about and called 70,000 people in a span of, you know, a few months. Um the stories that I heard, the ways that I was touched, the ways that I was hurt. So stories about people's despair, the things that people were doing in my community or not doing, or you know the layers of privilege. Um, I'm very pl- privileged because of my education, my background, my upbringing, um, what I've accomplished in my life. So people who didn't have food didn't have a proper in you know, a roof over their head not acceptable for where I live for anyone but you know I'm, I'm a Canadian I live in London Ontario right That's not acceptable and then just to see the, the disparity in, in opportunity the lack of equity and quickly the story went from me and I and what I needed or wanted to what could I do? how could I help? And you only really get this opportunity. So in my TED Talk, when I said, you know, we could rewrite the definition of inclusion. Where do we do that? We do that in policy. We do that in politics. We don't do that in you and I on this podcast. We have good intentions. We can spread that and have wonderful posts on LinkedIn and videos on Facebook and on Instagram. But you don't change policy. And policy changes communities. It, it, it influences the way that people behave and creates new values. And so I knew that I needed to do that in, in a place where there was influence and I could do that as a politician. I didn't win the first time. I had 15,000 people who believed in me, um, which is a good showing. Uh, the, the woman who won got 22,000. And, um, you know, I, but I decided in spite of how difficult it was to lose that I needed to do this again. And people said to me, why don't you do it in a different writing? And I said, because that particular writing is one of the poorest in London. There's very affluent areas in it, but there's some very impoverished areas. It, substance abuse, lack of well being, uh, lack of affordability and, and proper housing for so many people. It's, it, it's on a scale that doesn't compare to other areas in, in my city, in my community, or in our country. Amongst the 10th poorest in, in all of Canada something has to be done and i think the with all due res, with all due respect to the people who've been there before me they just haven't done enough whether it's because um they haven't had the influence or they weren't aligned with the party that was making the change and so i here it's not to put a plug in for for the party that i represent but it's a matter of if you are in a position of influence you have to make a difference it can be about partisan politics it can be about why my party is better than yours. It's kind of people, man, make a friggin' difference to the people that need it most. If we look at what COVID's done right now, it's the people who are marginalized, r- you know, radicalized. The people who have no access to what you and I have on a daily basis can't go and purchase a coffee like this. They are hurt more. They Homelessness has only increased. Substance abuse has only increased, right? And what are we doing? We're doing a lot, but we're not doing enough. And so I, I I had to shift my focus again and say, I needed to do this. I needed to come back into it and try again. And hopefully Teresa knows the politics in Canada where hopefully there isn't an election anytime soon. But that could change if you know we're in a minority government. And for me, it's not about this party versus that. I align my values with a particular party. However, it's about every single person in that community that I can help and that I can lift up. And that I can empower to have, give them what they need to get what they need and to get for themselves. You've heard, you know, don't give them fish, teach them how to fish. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of teaching people how to fish. And, but we need to provide them with the fishing rods. We need to provide them with the things that they need. You can't just go in there and give them this idea. We're going to teach you how to fish and then walk away. You need to give them the, the tools so they learn how to do it themselves. And that's how you empower people.
1: Let's just take a moment to offer the listeners the textbook definition of social responsibility in the world and realm of emotional intelligence. Because what you're talking about is really the underpinning other skills that allow social responsibility to really be in the forefront. So as a textbook definition, we're looking at your willingness to contribute to your community, um, your general interest in the welfare of your community, in other people's well-being, and even having that social consciousness, which requires us to really be educated as to what's going on around us, and something that you mentioned that's really, maybe even exclusive to politicians, is this door-to-door introducing and getting to know the people that are part of your community, and so. Two of those pillars in emotional intelligence that contribute to social responsibility are interpersonal relationships, so building relationships with other people, and empathy, understanding someone else's experiences and perspectives. And I wonder if you could riff on those elements and connect it to your involve, influence, inspire, leadership mantra.
2: I'll try. That, that That's going to be a... A big ass, but I'll try. But let me start by sharing with you that part of walking door to door, Teresa, meant that I was told to F off many times. Sure. Go back to my country. Um, why did I do what I did with 9-11? Uh, what the F is my name? Do you know, am I gonna try to steal City Hall from them? And part of the empathy is learning to be humble enough to accept that and to be willing to listen and not be not taken defensively and not be upset and understand where they're coming from. I think when somebody speaks like that, they're in a dark place. They've been hurt. They have ignorance and ignorance can lead us into fear. It can lead us into hatred and hatred can eventually lead us into violence and words of hate breed actions of terror. And so how do I mind my words how do i find the right language to counter the language that they're greeting me with that i can you know greet them with a language that is more peaceful more accepting understanding acknowledge what they're saying and really win them over and i did not everyone i had to walk away from many a home and probably lost many a vote because of my name but i did connect with people because there's the humanity of standing at somebody's door and letting them know look yeah i guess i'm here for a vote but you know what I'm here because I need to make a difference. And so that goes to your second point about how do you create that interpersonal relationship? It's letting that person know that you're there. Yeah, you want the vote, but you're there. To, you want to make a difference. You know, they're holding you accountable because when they give you their vote, when they give you their vote of confidence,
1: mm-hmm.
2: they're asking for accountability.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: I'm not just going to walk away and say, thank you for supporting me. Now I've got a new job. I'm going to say, thank you for empowering me to be your advocate and to amplify your concerns and to try to make a difference and sit at the table where decisions are being made. And that's what involve is about. So as you know, as you understand that when it comes to inclusion, diversity is a fact, inclusion is a choice. We have to be conscious about the decisions that we make daily to be inclusive and intentional in our approach, but that's still not enough. Because there has to be a, an underpinning sense of equity for everyone, that everyone has the ability to get the same opportunity that you and I have access to. But beyond that is I think the goal of every diversity and inclusion um, goal is belonging. And it's letting everybody know whether you're from the indigenous community, the the original settlers on this land or an immigrant from 400 or four or 40 years ago, we all have the right to belong. We all have the right to opportunities and belonging means that you let people weigh in. When people weigh in, they will buy in. So involving means listening, letting them speak, letting them vent. Influence is giving them that opportunity to, to become part of the equation, to become part of the solution, to understand that they can bring their energy and their strengths and now they can use it. So, you, you know, that's the, 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 the empowerment part of it. But inspiring is being a role model so that you role model, not role play everything that you stand for. It's, it was so hard for me to make that switch. Mm -hmm. From going the I, 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 I'm going door to door because I'm going to get voted in. I'm going to get a new job. I'm going to go to Ottawa. Wait a minute. It's not about that. It's about how do I hold myself accountable to the promises I'm making? And I'm not talking about promises we're going to invest in. So I'm talking about promises, the personal relationships that I created at the door, that I will be authentically representing that person and remembering them. I'll give you an example. I make about an hour and a half calls a day, try to reached about a hundred people yesterday I connected with one of my constituents and um, she said well we had a good conversation at the door last time you were there and I thought to myself I should have remembered them how do you remember you know thousands of people and then I looked at the address and then after I hung up I texted her and I said were you the teacher who had a nest of birds at her door (laughs) and she gave me you know she responded said that was me with a big smiley face I wasn't trying to kiss butt here I was trying to really make that authentic connection to let that person know. Two years ago when I knocked on your door and he spent 20 minutes with me at the door telling me what it felt like to be a teacher. And we were looking at the nest and just had a natural conversation. It imprinted something in my memory and in my heart and I remembered you. Now I don't remember everybody whose door I've been to, but I remember many. Mm-hmm. And if that's what I mean about being authentic. That's what I mean about really role modeling and not role playing and holding yourself accountable. And it takes a lot because as you know, it can be draining. So at the end of the day, when I do go to put my head on my pillow, that's part of the, I call it decompression because throughout the whole day, all these thoughts have to filter somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Our, if, our, if we don't create that piece where these thoughts that have been fluttering around in our brain for the entire day, it can get very overwhelming. And so I have to come to some sort of peace Where I allow myself to shut down and to rebuild for the next day. And part of that is holding myself accountable and knowing that I can do it.
0: Thank you. That was a beautiful illustration of you um, giving examples of how the words, the sentiment, the intention, the um <clears throat> the purpose and you're putting it into action and then you you talk about very humbly that you know it was all about me I to start with but it was when I had my eyes open and seeing the cold face and seeing what was here right next to me without really physically being aware of it had that massive shift from me to you and um, <clears throat> I also feel that a lot has changed since that time and I feel mm. that so many of us don't succeed on that first time but every every uh every opportunity is a, is a learning um vehicle for us for you and for them as well and i feel that that example there you said of where a small thing that you didn't really remember but it it clicked something that was there you'd made that connection it showed the, a a very heightened awareness um this empathy the um <clears throat> the ability to make a connection from something as simple as listening that everyone is is available to them and everyone can um, <clears throat> reciprocate. So in terms of your forthcoming uh, successful run for office, as I'm putting it out there, that's my manifesting it already. Um, Thank you. I feel that uh, the fact that you were coming back, so all the people who maybe had a negative reaction to you um, the fact that you didn't respond in a I-centered way, you responded in a, I hear you, I understand, it's not about me, I'm just a, an image here that you were able to reflect some of your anger or frustration or whatever is inside you. Um, I think that is such an important example for any would-be leader or any human being. So thank you very much for sharing that and, and for putting that out there for everyone to hear. and. Um, I wanted to finally just took your recent role in your intro, let me just come back to it, chief learning officer. So for me, that sounds like a great platform, Mm. a great opportunity to inspire, to impact, to influence. And I'm wondering, you know, you you said you want to be into politics to make a bigger impact. How is that learning, the learning Mm. bit, how are you translating that into what you've you've described as your purpose so far?
2: So... Clarification, I've got this full-time job with a tech company here in London. I've got my uh, coaching and my training business. And uh, this individual um, reached out to me. He started a uh, a, gra- uh, a grassroots organization that helps immigrant journalists get published in Canada and tell stories about the Im- immigrant journey. That's what New Canadian Media is. Started w- working with them a couple years ago. And then I took a hiatus when I was getting into politics. And it's something that I do like on weekends, nights, whatever, right? Uh, but we've had these workshops, we had them in person before and then during COVID, we had them online and we had great showings of people who attended. But we also partnered with the Walrus, we partnered with CBC, we partnered with the Global and Mail and the Star and, and uh, you name it so that the, the main newsrooms, right, because what we're trying to do is to not infiltrate but allow me to say it that way we want to say to these newsrooms that maybe are not as inclusive are not really reflecting the canadian you know cultural landscape and not telling stories outside of maybe the gta or the the big centers you know we need to tell stories that are being told regularly and new canadian media is about the pulse of immigrant canada but we are all immigrants and most recently we we did a a workshop where we had uh members of the indigenous communities and journalists from the indigenous communities and who cover indigenous communities bring it together so here we are talking about new canadians here we are talking about canadians you know the the, the original canadians and we're talking about the settler experience and we're bringing it all together and isn't that the vision of canada mm-hmm. the and, and isn't that what you know diversity is about it's talking about who really was here on this land who you know, started coming over, What what is that relationship? Where are we landing with it today? How are we not amplifying the diverse voices? But then these new immigrants that are coming, how do we involve them? Get Canadian experience, we say, how if you don't give me the opportunity? So we're giving them this opportunity to learn about what it's like to be a journalist here in Canada and to tell stories about your community, but community of others, we're involving them. And we're helping them use their influence to spread that word, and they're becoming an inspiration to other journalists. And now the you know the ma- major newsrooms are listening to us. They're taking you know they're standing in the wings and listening, and they're making changes. And they're recognizing we're holding them accountable because you know with everything that's happened in twenty twenty and with George Floyd and the amplification of Black Lives and the Indigenous uh, um, issues that we had in twenty twenty, organizations globally a little late, but better than never are saying we need to do better. But better doesn't just mean come up with a, you know, a, a, a council that represents diversity, equity, inclusion. It doesn't mean go read a book when an event happens. It means making real change, it means writing new policy. It means moving over and making sure that there's room at the table so that leaders who aren't represented, members from the community who aren't represented, are part of the decision making. Until we can do that, we can break down systemic racism. We can only talk about it. We can't, you know, and this isn't shaming and blaming. This isn't looking at white people and saying, you've done something wrong all along. It's about recognizing, it's the reckoning of saying, we've gotten to where we are and we need to do different. COVID isn't just an awakening that we got hit by a a huge virus or a small virus that's caused a huge pandemic. COVID is a reset for this entire global community to say that 2020, we need 2020 vision to move forward we need to have heart-centered leaders that are truly making a difference, and I think we have few examples around the world. But now let's write the policy. Let's do the hard thing. Let's make the tough decisions. That it's not just, you know, role play. That it's actually role modeling. Let's inspire others by the actions that we take to foster inclusive communities for everyone, where everyone belongs and everyone can thrive.
1: Mohammed, you shared so many elements related to the theme of our social contribution. And we like to try and put a bow on it for our listeners in our hashtag, not anymore, which essentially means like, stop doing this, start doing that. (laughs) And if you could offer our listeners, no matter the position they may find themselves in, like none of the qualifiers, if you're this, then you could do that. None of the qualifiers. Of a practical, I can stop doing this right now and I can start doing this instead, which could on their end, in their actions, multiply into not just doing differently, but being differently within the world itself. What might be that nugget that you would offer?
2: Not anymore hate. It's okay to dislike something. You don't have to like frappuccinos. You don't have to like coffee. You don't have to like the color black you can dislike something. I learned when I was a young kid, and here I go back about, you know, my, my upbringing or maybe my religiosity you know, that hate is a word from the devil. Hate is a very strong word. It's a very strong sentiment. And, you know, I was told when I was younger, don't use the word hate. Hate's very strong. And so I can dislike something. I can even dislike someone. I can dislike what they do. But hate goes to the core of that being and that action. And so no more hate means that hopefully one day no more racism, no more discrimination, no more violence. I know that sounds unachievable, but we all in 2020 paused and we looked around us and people who didn't think the same or similarly paused to recognize how insignificant we all were on the face of this earth and that we needed to do better. Politicians from different, you know, stripes, different colors, came together and thought not like politicians, but like human beings. Uh, leaders in different communities came through and said, "What can we do differently?" So when we say to people, "No more hate," it's an intentional decision that I will take my blinders off. I won't be arrogantly thinking that I'm better than someone. I will you know, bend my back and, you know, let somebody cross over me as a human bridge and not build walls. It just means that I will dedicate myself to be a better human being. Because you know what happens? We all get to that moment. We, there's two things we're, 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 we do for sure and we're sure of in this world. One is the gate we come through and the gate we leave from. And when we come in, we come in crying from darkness. And when we leave, we're put back in darkness and people cry over us. I think we can celebrate the moment that we come in as a joy and every child that comes in as a joy and hope for this world. And if we can laugh and commemorate and, and celebrate people when they leave for the good things that they leave us with, their deeds, not their not, not, not what they have left us in, in money or our homes or anything, but the deeds, the changes that they leave this world with, then I think we can truly say, We've made a difference. And that's part of why I get up. That's by part of the work that I do. It's grand. I'm not sure if it's achievable. But every day is, you know, climbing that mountain, getting a little closer to the summit, and knowing that even when I get to that mountain and the summit, there's a valley. And that valley is the valley of unknowing for others to help people come up the mountain together. We need to do that together. That climb is a, it's a spiritual communal climb where we all need to, you know, Get to that place of clarity together because if anyone's left out, then it means somebody's still walking around in hate and we need to make sure that we can walk around in love.
1: That's a really nice tweak of the dial. And You're not asking people to go stop using the word hate, start using the word love. You're not asking them to leap the chasm. You're just like, if you could just drop that and shift it just a smidgen, things will start to move in the right direction. Wonderful, Cher. Thank you so much. So people are going to want to get in touch with you and find out more about you. So how can they do that? What's the best way for people to do that?
2: Sure. So probably LinkedIn, you know, I've got presence on very social media. I've got a a website. You're more than welcome to share with your um, listeners. um, You know, what I do in my professional life, you know, I I do training, I do coaching. Um, I've got a phone number. People really want to chat. They are more than welcome to do that. And I rarely say no, I've gotten better at saying no because of time constraints, but I always welcome an opportunity to connect with people because every person makes a difference. Every person has a story to tell and those stories change the world and they change my world.
1: Lovely, we'll make sure we have those contact points in our show yeah. notes. For our thank
2: you both, thank Beautiful. you.
1: Okay, you're not off the hook. As right. our regular listeners know, it's time for the rapid fire Q&A. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. We don't have theme music, so I generally... <laughs> oh, I love your music. <laughs> Every once in a while, I bust a <laughs> I love it. Five questions. Are you ready? Ready. Number one, which emotion catches you off guard most often? Anger. And what do you do to regulate that emotion in the moment?
2: Yeah, change my physical state. If I'm standing, I'll sit. If I'm sitting, I'll stand. I'll go for a walk.
1: Excellent. Change the environment, change the mood. What's (laughs) next in your personal evolution?
2: Be open to what tomorrow brings because I don't know what it will be.
1: Hmm. Number four, when your best friend is having a meltdown, what do you say to them?
2: Nothing. Just sit beside them.
1: Man, we are finding out that that is a very common answer to these brilliantly spiritual, connected, self-aware people we've had on our podcast. You you know
2: why, Teresa? Mm -hmm. I used to be the one who had all the answers, but none none of the answers were the answers. Sure. Right? And sometimes not having the answer is just the best thing.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful. And number five, Mm -hmm. in this moment, what are you most looking forward to or most hopeful for?
2: My yeah, family just yeah. the presence of my family and knowing they're safe and they're around me I pray that I never have to have that taken away from me it's it's the last thing that I think about when I sleep
1: mm. and it's
2: the first thing that I think about when I wake up it's just being grateful for having them part of my life
1: mm. Muhammad, thank you so much for being with thank us. You yeah.
2: thank you both thank you
1: the wisdom, the story. From the heart. Yes, absolutely. We could feel that very much so in this episode. And great appreciation.
0: Yeah, you got it, the heart. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really grateful for uh, you. you sharing your higher purpose with us. And I'm, you know, personally, I'm hopeful that there'll be more people who've been affected by this uh, pandemic and able to look beyond the reaction and be able to respond to it in a, in, in a positive, impactful, purposeful way maybe through politics, maybe through media. Who knows what it might be? There's lots of ways to influence now. Um, But as long as you're doing it from that heart-centered place, I feel like there's, you know, can't go wrong. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of TNT.
0: Please share, subscribe, rate, and review.
1: And when you're ready for your personal evolution, check out Reese at trueselfcoaching.com.
0: And for your emotional intelligence revolution, Check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com.